You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 887 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday morning. And in fact, it's basically Friday morning now as I start recording this late in the night here after the 8 p.m. Eastern time tip-off between the Hawks and the Grizzlies. And the Hawks were pretty much bludgeoned this evening by, by the Grizzlies by a final score of 128-106. to 106. It was pretty ugly in the second half in particular for Atlanta. We'll go, we'll go through that as we always would on the podcast. I do want to say at the top here, as a reminder... This is an exhibition game, a preseason game that doesn't really mean anything. I saw some really strong overreactions to this. In the same way, I would say that I saw some overreactions in a positive sense um, after last weekend's game. So just a reminder not to overreact, kind of relax and all of this stuff. But it was still a frustrating performance for the Hawks in a lot of ways. We'll dive into that as we always do on the podcast. Before we get into um, the game flow and then some individual breakdowns, etc., I want to sort of set the stage a little bit for what happened in this game and who was available, etc. Um, coming into the game, the injury report was already full with Chris Dunn, Anyaka Kongwu, and Tony Snell already being ruled out. The injury report was busy during the day on Thursday, um, actually starting on Wednesday evening. A lot of guys listed on the injury report. There's some uh, panic happening from Click on Click Capella, who's been listed on the injury report in every game, so I'm not worried about that at all. But he was probable, ended up playing. Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter were questionable originally on Wednesday afternoon, upgraded to probable on Thursday, and they ended up playing as well. Rajon Rondo went from being doubtful originally on the injury report to questionable on Thursday afternoon, and then ended up playing uh, for the first time in a Hawks uniform on this evening, and then lineup-wise, the Hawks went with Bogdan Madanovich back at the two to start with, and DeAndre Hunter at the three, back to their original lineup that they used in the opening game, and uh, given the deployment, probably the assumed starting lineup on some level for Wednesday's game next week and the regular season, but we'll get we'll get there later, obviously, but that's my assumption at this point. I would not bet on that necessarily, but for those of you asking, I do think that's probably going to be the lineup that we see on Wednesday, if I had to guess. Um, at any rate, the availability stuff was interesting. The Hawks still have, basically, they treated this game as if it was kind of a rehearsal, at least for the competitive portion. They played a pretty short rotation. All five starters played 20, 25, 25 minutes or more. This is probably the closest thing that they'll probably get to a dress rehearsal, I'd imagine, although Lloyd Pierce didn't say that necessarily. But lots to get into on the podcast, as always. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Uh, the general format is that we will go through the game flow, and then uh, after a break of some sort, we'll end the podcast on breaking down every single player that took the court on some level, and uh, that's the plan for today's podcast. But first, before we get into that, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first one is Built Go. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, I can break through it right now with Built Go every single day. And Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and it's natural. Built Go is easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or your pocket, get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five-hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural and it's better for the body as a result. And there are three delicious flavors to choose from in chocolate mint, peanut butter honey, and chocolate coconut. Built Go is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the podcast will perhaps know that I have multiple jobs that I have to tend to on a regular basis, and sometimes 
I need a little bit extra to get through the day and the night, but BuiltGo is a fantastic solution to break through my own wall in order to try it for yourself. Visit BuiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, we'll dive in now to the game flow. And as a reminder, also, the Grizzlies really bludgeoned the Hawks last year as well in both games of the regular season. They now have an average margin of victory of about 25, 26 points. It's a lot. Um, and these two teams, by the way, play again on Saturday in Memphis, so the Hawks will have an opportunity to get some revenge, perhaps, but a bad matchup in some ways for Atlanta, and that was exposed on some level in this game. So the first half was not too bad, quite honestly. Um, early on, the Hawks started out playing some drop some drop coverage, pick and roll, trail defense uh, against Memphis that worked to varying degrees. They did change their coverages a little bit throughout the game, and honestly, it was more offensive in the first half, and the Hawks be able to, to keep pace defensively. They didn't really get the stops that they wanted to. Lloyd Pierce did say later on that I, I would say after the game that he said that the first half was better than the second half. I would agree on that. But even then, the numbers were not, were not great defensively the entire game. It was just the offense was playing well in the early going. I thought Trey Young was more aggressive out of the gate, hunting for his own offense. Um, he had five quick points and a lob to Capella for a dunk out of the gates. The Hawks did play a short rotation, as I mentioned before. Um, it was Gallinari as the first sub, and then they actually uh, he had a jump shot right away to give the Hawks a 13 to five lead. That was their uh, pro- probably their high water mark in this game in a lot of ways. Um, but then they brought John Collins back in at the five right off the bench, and really they until. Late in the third quarter, they play without a center beyond Clint Capella, um, at least a traditional center. Obviously, I'm on record as saying John Collins can play center and will play center. And even Gallo played some center in this game, but it was not Bruno Fernando for most of this game. And they went pretty small and pretty pretty much to a limited rotation. Also noteworthy, the Hawks played a no-point guard lineup when they brought Trey off the court early on. Rondo did play in this game, as we'll talk about in a second, but they actually did go frequently with the Herder Reddish backcourt um, in this spot. It did not work at all in the first quarter. The Herder point guard minutes alongside Reddish, whoever you want to say is the point guard there, it's really a no point guard lineup in a lot of ways. But Memphis was really aggressive and ball pressure with uh, both John Morant and De'Anthony Melton getting in to the ball handlers um, for the Hawks that were not Trey Young, and that caused some havoc. The Hawks had a lot of trouble getting getting into their sets, and you know it looked terrible. Make no mistake. I saw some people like saying, well, we can't do that ever. It's like, well, no, I wouldn't say that. It, it was not a good execution of it, but the Hawks did use no, no point guard lineups in the first two games, and it worked just fine. So pick your spots, perhaps. And obviously when you have Chris Dunn coming back, Rondo more uh, fully ingratiated, he might, have, might sort of use that lineup less. Also, I would probably use Bogdanovich more in that look if they were going to go to it. But again, it's preseason, and you're probably tinkering to some degree, so I'm not really worried about that. But it, it was pretty bad when they used it in the first quarter, and that allowed Memphis to come back and tie the game after the 13-5 start. Um, they actually brought in Solomon Hill as the ninth guy, the fourth guy off the bench uh, eventually for Atlanta. Um, they did bring Rondo back in. Sorry, they brought Rondo in to start the, to start the second quarter, but in the first, the only thing that really you know, I want to point out there is there was a nice um, takeaway in terms of a steal, deflection, um, you know, block, however you want to say that. From Reddish. If you saw the play, you probably know what I'm talking about. But Reddish had this nice steal and then outlet pass to Collins for a dunk late in the quarter. It was really, really nice. One of the better plays of the night for the Hawks. But offensively, it was just fine. They shot 52% from the floor. They had eight assists in the first quarter. They did allow a bunch of easy shots to Memphis, but I thought it was better overall. In the second quarter, uh, Rondo made his mark, I will say, early on. You know, Rondo on, on the court stuff is going to be interesting to monitor this season. 
He played alongside Bogdanovich, Hunter, Hill, and Capella to begin his debut and flash some of his passing right away. He actually had five assists in the first five minutes of play. He was not quite as good in the second half, but there were some, obviously, some positive moments from what you would normally see from Rondo as a floor general and as a passer. The Hawks played some zone defense in the second quarter as well to mix success. There was a 14-2 run right after that. Actually, probably included that to some degree by Memphis to go up by eight. And there was a frustrated timeout from Lloyd Pierce. A lot of that was offensive. They kind of had this little hiccup offensively at that point in time. They did have a nice flourish to end the first half with the starters back on the floor. They had an 8-0 run. Trey hit a deep three and then foul, and they got fouled on another one to make all three free throws. And then DeAndre Hunter had a nice play where he attacked the rim, missed a shot. Um, it was contested at the rim, missed that. But the Hawks got a stop quickly on the other end of the floor, and then Bogdanovich threw a nice outlet pass to Hunter for a layup. That was a nice sequence there for the Hawks. And then um, while the Grizzlies did come back and respond a little bit, um, the end of the half was a Trey Young to Clint Capella lob dunk at the buzzer to get back within two. And again, offensively, it was not a problem at all in the first half. They scored about 1.2 points per possession, which is, which is of course, fantastic. Really, really, really fast pace. They played 10 guys before halftime. That was really the rotation in this game. There was some garbage time later on, of course. But really, it was a 10-man rotation for Atlanta in this game. It was the five starters, plus Gallinari, Hill, um, Reddish, Rondo and Herter. That was the 10. And obviously you probably will you will certainly integrate Dunn and Akongwu at some point, maybe Snell as well. But it was the 10 guys you would expect that played for most of this game. Um the nice first half from Trey Young, Clickapella, and DeAndre Hunter all had 13 points each. Reddish had nine points and two steals, and then Hunter had uh, sorry, Collins had eight points, four rebounds, and four assists in the first half. The Hawks had 19 assists before halftime, which is a lot of assists, especially with only five turnovers. But defensively, it was uh, kind of a mess. And then that carried over. So right out of the gate in the second half, the Grizzlies went on, went on a 14-2 run to break things open, to go up by 14 points. And that was kind of the end of it, quite honestly. The Hawks only had two points in the first four and a half minutes. They brought in Gallinari to try to juice the offense, took Capella out, went with the Gallinari-Collins front court. That didn't even work really either. Then they went to a weird lineup with Rondo coming back into the game. Um, you know, whatever. Memphis then pushed it to a 25-9 to run out of halftime, and as soon as Capella left the game, Valanciunas kind of did whatever he wanted to against the uh, no-pure center lineup for the Hawks. And offensively, the Hawks should be able to outscore teams with that lab. But in this, on, the, on that particular stretch, it was not exactly a high-powered unit. So that all kind of manifested itself, and that was the ugly part of the game, and it kind of broke things open. The Hawks never really recovered. They did bring in Bruno Fernando finally after that run came to an end for his first minutes, but even then it was kind of over at that point. A pretty hideous quarter overall. The Hawks scored 17 points in the third. Um, they actually only shot 6-23 from the field and had um, you know 11-3 attempts, which isn't too bad, but Memphis scored 31 points, only had one turnover, and uh, that was the end of that, honestly. In the fourth, they opened with a pretty ugly offensive lineup with Rondo, Reddish, Hunter, Capella, and Hill on the court. That didn't really work out very well. And then with about, with about seven minutes to go, it was pretty much over. It was good win for a while there. Um, they brought in... Uh, not Goban, uh, Scholar, it was Scholar May's time, they had Bruno, Bruno back in the game, they just kind of went to, you know, nonsense laps down the stretch, because it's pretty much over, and that's that's what you should do. I will say, they actually brought in the starters for a little bit of time late, I'm not sure if it's punishment or just trying to find some rhythm, but the uh, there were guys that matter on the court within the last four or five minutes of this game, including the closing lineup, so... You know, 128-106, this is a regular season game. I would probably be a little bit more detailed in a lot of different things here. But for the, pretty much the entire fourth quarter, it was over in terms of the competitive portion. And the Hawks kind of were floundering. So we'll go through what transpired later on individually. But overall, the numbers are pretty ugly. Even with the garbage time, the Grizzlies scored 1.17 points per possession, which is obviously untenable. You're not going to win many games like that. The Hawks only scored... 
0.97 per possession, which is uh, brutal, obviously. So shooting-wise, the Hawks shot 38% from the floor, 29% from three in this game. Those two numbers are not going to work. They only had six assists after halftime. That isn't going to work either. They did, they, they did take care of the ball. That's one of the issues that the Hawks have had in the past um, that actually fuels their defensive struggles at times is turning the ball over, and especially live ball turnovers. They did manage to um, mitigate those a little bit in this game, but the, the shots did not fall, and uh, that sort of fed into everything. And Memphis was able to kind of beat them up around the uh, around the rim as well. Pierce talked about this beforehand. I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast, but um, Memphis is a very, very good team at attacking the paint and finishing near the rim. That was the case in this game with Valanchunas, with Morant, um, with guys attacking the rim pretty much the, throughout the game that was effective for Memphis against the Hawks. But yeah, overall takeaways, the Hawks just didn't play well, quite obviously, and we'll go into the individual stuff in a second, but that, that's the overall takeaway. They did not play well at all in this contest. Okay, before we get to the individual stuff, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Before I get into the player breakdowns, I want to tell you about a brand new podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. And betting on the NBA does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. The pod has daily picks, quick and advice to make the smartest possible wagers. You can subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and we'll get into... The individual stuff, but I do want to say, um, I, I listened to what Lloyd Pierce had to say after the game. I wanted to sort of break that down for you quickly. Um, Pierce said that they basically failed in terms of responding to adversity in this game, which is probably true from what I saw. Also, he talks about the, how they were too random on offense, not necessarily executing what they wanted to do. And importantly, he referenced this multiple times that they sort of let down when shots weren't falling. And that's kind of what I saw as well. Defensively, that's been a problem for this team in the past. Obviously, the personnel is different, but you have to be able to defend when you don't make shots because you're not always going to make shots. It's going to be a good offensive team. There's a lot more personnel, a lot more talent on this roster. But if you have those nights when the shots aren't falling, you got to be able to buckle down defensively, and that just didn't happen in this game. He talked about the uh, too many fast break points, second chance points being allowed, and some overhelping. He did mention there were some bright spots in the first half defensively, despite the shaking numbers. I think um, he's probably right in terms of the defense being a little bit better than the numbers actually indicated in the first half, and it was brutal in the second half still, but alas... Also, he did say that they would learn a lot more on Saturday about themselves, but put the focus back on Wednesday. And Wednesday, of course, is the regular season opener in Chicago when the game actually matters. So I would echo that in a big way. I know you want to take, take stuff away, and that's my job in some ways, to take stuff away from this game. But it's still an exhibition. Keep that in mind as well. Um, individually, Pierce praised DeAndre Hunter for being steady and finding his shots, um, finding his spots as well, attacking, um, hitting open shots, competing. Uh, he did say that he wanted him to crash the, de- the the defensive glass a little bit more, but it was a general positive evaluation of that. And uh, as you will see in a second, there was not a ton of individual positives to get to in this game. But we'll go through them now. The guys who played real minutes. Um, Skyler Mays played two minutes. Bruno Fernando played eight minutes. Not a whole lot to get into there. Bruno actually played hard, I thought. Had two blocks. It brought, en- brought energy at the very least. I mean, I'm not sure what that's, um, you know, that's kind of his job right now. It's pretty telling in some ways that the Hawks have been playing without a Kongwu and still not playing Bruno, so that kind of tells you what the plan is going to be. I think a lot of Collins, some Gallinari at backup five. Defensively, that's going to be a, a bit of a struggle, but still um, they've chosen that, it seems like, over playing Bruno in terms of just regular backup center minutes. Um, the guys who did play, Kevin Herter struggled in this game. Six points, did have four assists and two steals, which is nice for him to stat, um, sort of stat stuff a little bit. But shot three of 12 from the floor and 0 of 6 from three. You know, if he's not going to make shots, it's tough. He does. I think he's underrated in terms of everything else that he does other, other than shooting, but he still needs to make shots to be a positive impact player in a lot of ways. 
Rondo had five assists, as I, as I said before, in five minutes. He ended up with seven. I thought he was fine. I thought he, I think he just played the way that you would expect him to play coming in. Um, he's not played basketball competitively in quite some time. Obviously, it's a little bit less time than everybody else who's playing in the bubble, but that's still two months ago now, so his first game action in two months, he looked fine to me. Um, Cam Reddish had some nice moments, 12 points, uh, three steals, two assists, and five rebounds. He was actually a game-worst minus 22. That was not necessarily on him, I don't think. Um, 4-4 from the free throw line, which is nice to see. 2-4 from three. I thought he had a couple nice, really nice moments. I think he was on a short list of guys who played well when compared to their normal baseline, despite the plus-minus disaster. Um, Solomon Hill, three points. Kind of did Solomon Hill stuff in 18 minutes. Gallinari was kind of quiet. Eight points, three rebounds in 19 minutes. I think defensively he was um, exposed in this game a little bit. That's not a huge surprise. He's not he's not a good defender, but he is big and physical. But big and physical against power fours does not necessarily translate against like guys like, like, like Valanciunas. So... There will be nights when Gallo is tough defensively. This is one of those nights, and he he didn't really have you. He didn't really have enough to offset it. Um, I think most of the time he's so good on offense that it won't matter a ton. But in this game, he didn't have it offensively um, on on his normal platform, and then it was kind of a bad night for him as a result. Um, Bogdanovich played okay, I thought, in 27 minutes. He didn't shoot great, four of eleven from the floor, one of five from three. Did have seven rebounds, um, two assists, a steal, and a block, nine points. He was okay. I don't think he was great, but he was okay. Um, Trey Young struggled by his standards in this game, 15 points, six assists. So the numbers still got there, but four, four 15 from the floor. He's not been able to fight his floater game just yet. I'm not worried at all about that. He is one of the best floaters in the entire league. So it's not a concern, but he's not been able to find it just yet. Two of eight from three. Uh, he was pressing a little bit. I thought at times offensively, I mentioned before, I think he, he started out this game pretty aggressively in a good way, but uh, there were no times where he, he, it wasn't like necessarily seeming, um, natural to me. He played fine uh, in terms of the overall impact, but by his standards, he was below average for him, to be sure, and I'm not concerned at all, really. Um, Clay Capella, I thought, played well. 13 points, 9 rebounds in 26 minutes. Um, I, you know, it's kind of a pretty normal Capella game. He was the only guy on the team that could handle Valanciunas in any way, shape, or form, and that'll be the case sometimes. You know, most of the time... I would say probably three quarters of the league or more does not have a center that's going to really, going to really be able to bludgeon the Hawks. Valanciunas is on that list. He's not quite as good, obviously, as like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, but Valanciunas is a legitimate seven footer who's very strong and very skilled. He's kind of like Vucevic in some ways. Those two guys are like almost a dying breed of that, you know, definitely traditional center. Um, physical big guys. Those guys will give the Hawks some trouble, especially when Capella's out of the game. That was definitely on display here. John Collins was not great by his standards either. 10 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. He was 4-10 from the floor. I thought he was like not terrible, but it was not a good night for him necessarily. And then DeAndre Hunter was probably the best um, in terms of the uh, overall baseline for what he was able to do, except for rebounding. Obviously, Pierce mentioned before he wanted more out of him on the, on the defensive glass. Hunter only had one, one rebound in this game. That's not great. But 22 points, 8-15 from the floor, 5-8 from 3. I'm not the guy, for new listeners that might not know this, I'm not the guy that's going to just point to the guy who scored the most points to say they played well. Um, but I thought Hunter was pretty good in this game, other than rebounding. I think he's been playing pretty well overall in the first three games, so a nice bright spot. I would certainly uh, circle Hunter, Capella, and Reddish as the guys who I thought played well. Rondo was fine. Bogdanovich was fine. There were guys who played okay, but I think if you want to find some bright spots, it's really um, it was the play of the young wings and uh, Capella in this game for me. Okay, um, before we get out of here, 
on this fine Thursday into Friday. This will be the last podcast until the next game, by the way, which is on Saturday night. I'm not going to do another one on Friday after a full week of shows. And by the way, Sarah Spencer was on the podcast this week from the AJC. Josh Lloyd from Lots of Fantasy Basketball on yesterday's podcast, plenty to get to. Anyway, um, there is some news to touch on quickly. There's a Board of Governors meeting in the NBA world on Thursday that approved a 15-man active roster for this season. Normally, it's 13, so... Every team has 15 players maximum plus two ways. But on game night, you have to submit your 13-man active roster. This year, it's 15. So the Hawks have 17 guys. They have a full full, full roster of 15 players, and then they two two ways. But on game night, they actually could carry as many as 15. They probably will most of the time, especially with two ways around. That just helps with depth with depth stuff. Not a huge factor because most of the time, you're not going to play those guys. But in blowouts especially, that can be useful to be able to throw out Skylar Mays and Nathan Knight to save some, uh, save some bodies. Also, the trade deadline is now official. It's March 25th. No surprise there. And the coach's challenge is now permanent in the NBA after an approval by the Board of Governors. Um, also, the 538 projections came out on Thursday, and they projected the Hawks with a 35-win record with a 65% chance to make the playoffs. That's about what most of the projections have been. The Hawks over-under is about 34.5 to 36.5, depending on where you look. I'm a little bit higher than that, but these, these are kind of in line with that. Um, also, the Pacers and the Magic are both projected ahead of the Hawks, though, at 36 and 36. The Pacers, no surprise. The Magic, I'm a bit befuddled by. I don't really see it with the Magic this year. Um, I know they've been in the, play- in the playoffs recently, but the Hawks are just more talented than them by a pretty significant margin. They are well coached, though, with Steve Clifford, but regardless. There's also a huge gap between those three teams, Pacers, Magic, and Hawks, 36, 36, 35. And then 538 has the Bulls and the Wizards projected at 25 and 47. So an 11 win gap in a 72 game season between number nine and number 10. That's a pretty massive thing. And that also explains, by the way, how weird it is that the Hawks are actually projected ninth by 538, but with a 65% chance to make the playoffs, which doesn't really make a lot of sense until you realize that there's an 11 win gap. So all these teams are like between 60 and 70%, and then you get into like, you know, 20s or less. Um, so that's kind of a weird. Dividing line, I'm not sure I buy that. I think, for instance, the Hawks are better than the Magic, but the Wizards are a lot closer to the Magic, maybe maybe even better than the Magic, um, that that actually indicates. So it's just one system, but it got a lot, of, a lot of attention on Thursday, so I wanted to pass that along to you. There's also some player projections that they put out. They put out these five-year projections by money. I'm not going to go through all of them. I usually do a whole, like, podcast or a whole written post on these because they usually arrive in the offseason. This time around, not a whole lot of time to do that. But um, basically... Um, the system really, really likes Trey Young. No surprise there. Um, it's actually pretty high on Capella, which is uh, interesting. I think almost too high, which is crazy because I like Capella a lot. But the, the system loves Capella. Um, also pretty aggressive on Akongwu, which is nice to see if you're a Hawks fan. And uh, probably too high on Chris Dunn, although I like him as well. And then they're too low on John Collins. And I would say Bogdanovich by a little bit. Gallinari by a little bit. And then Hunter as well. So you can find that on 538.com. I'm sure if you want to look through all of those. There's plenty to sift through. And it can be fun to pass the time and uh, get mad or <laughs> be, be encouraged, etc. So that's all out there if you want to do it. But uh, we'll cut this podcast a little bit shorter on this evening because it's so late uh, with the 8 o'clock tip. At any rate, the game will be happening on Saturday in Memphis. I will do a podcast at some point after it. So you'll have that by Sunday. And then we'll uh, be into the regular season next week. It's coming fast and furious. Um, if you was, Again, if you missed anything from this week, it's been a full slate, a couple of podcasts of me by myself, and then I was joined by Sarah Spencer and Josh Lloyd the last two days. So those are still very, very relevant podcasts. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Check out the Locked on Bets podcast, the new podcast that I talked about earlier on the show and the entire Locked on Podcast Network. And we will see you next time.